Hey, you're listening to Citizen Reporter, episode 454, for the 18th of September, 2013. Time when to go retire, and this is the one lifetime. Hey, everybody, welcome to Citizen Reporter, normally the podcast about underreported news, uh, issues that matter to human life around the world. I'm your host, and uh, my name is Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. I'm also known as Bicycle Mark. That's a name that's been with me, oh, for a lot of years, since 1997, I think is when I forgot, was first called. Bicycle Mark in the state of New Jersey. Of course, this program is coming to you from Amsterdam, uh, which is where I live. And today, instead of an interview or some kind of long-form program involving different voices and an issue, I'm actually going to do what we used to call a stream of consciousness uh, podcast. Uh, For those of you that don't know, I've been podcasting since 2004. And let me get old man on you. Back in the day, we used to turn on a microphone and just talk. Somewhere along the line, people change. I changed, I got busy, I got interested in things happening in the world, and it became more about interviews and learning. And I think that's a good thing. But there are ways you can still learn by listening to somebody just talk. And actually, at some point today, I'm going to talk about things I'm listening to, programs that I find extremely interesting. But never mind that now. Let's, let's start from a sort of beginning. What I've done is I have an actual piece of paper, and I used a pen, which I don't do very often, and I wrote an outline. I love outlines ever since I was a, a high school kid. I don't know who taught me to outline, but I got really into outlining. Uh, you know, it was probably one of my psycho teachers in high school, really, some crazy people that were militant about outlining. So what's been going on? I mean, you may have noticed there haven't been that many programs, especially in the last two months, One could say, oh, it's summertime, but that's kind of over. Uh, But uh, I I got busy because, well, most of all, because my grandfather uh, got sick and, in fact, passed away uh, just last Thursday. And I went to Portugal, um, back to Portugal, where I'd been most of the summer, actually, spending time with him and my family. And I went back two weeks ago because my grandfather was in the hospital with a a pneumonia or a pneumonia, if you want to pronounce the P. And I was basically visiting him every day in the hospital, in this old monastery turned hospital, which looked like it had been closed down and opened up about five times in the last 30 years. And it was a really odd place, something very beautiful in its, in its classic oldness. And it didn't have what you might call the modern conveniences for taking care of the sick. But at the same time, it was very peaceful. It was in the middle of this sort of countryside, grapes, mountains, a lot of wind turbines for wind energy because Portugal is big into that. And, you know, it was really, as you can imagine, a stressful time or I don't even know if stress is the word. Uh, It's exhausting, emotionally exhausting, you know, where every day... sat with my grandfather, and for the first seven days, I could talk to him uh, on a limited basis because he would get tired, and he would only speak in small sentences, but he was still very, as we say, lucid. Um, He would answer 
questions, ask questions. He knew exactly who he's talking about. My grandfather is legendary or was legendary for always having a clear mind and remembering things. And this was no different. Even in the hospital with a, a breathing machine and lots of tubes hooked up to him, he was still so clear in his thoughts. But after about seven days, he started to sleep most of the day. He started to, I guess it occurred to him that he was really sick. Uh, I remember at one point my mother was with me. It was she and I uh, doing this every day. And at one point he, he asked my mother, what do I have? Like, what's the sickness? And my mother said, you have a pneumonia. And he said, oh no, that, that kills old people. And, you know, in, in the same conversation, he said, isn't there a, an antibiotic I could take? Isn't there some medicine? And of course, they were already giving him something to that effect. But it was just really something to see someone realizing, oh, I'm old. Not only that, I have pneumonia. I have a lot of experience. I know that pneumonia kills the elderly, especially at 92 years old. And indeed, in the coming days, he gradually spoke less and less, gradually slept most of the day. Of course, they were giving him a lot of morphine. And I wrote about the experience going to the hospital every day and seeing the people in this room, in this makeshift room, because there actually weren't rooms. They just put up these temporary walls separating people. And in this space where he was, there were five other people, normally about five other people. And in the span of two weeks, I watched three people go from seemingly indecent health. I mean, they've got a problem of some kind because they're in the hospital to dead to gone or to struggling to, to live and then dying within a few days. So besides watching my grandfather deteriorate, I also watched other people who in some cases looked totally fine when they first arrived and were very soon thereafter gone. And you see their families and you talk to their families for a few days. And that is until of course they die. And then you don't see families anymore. Nobody comes around to say, Hey, it was nice knowing you. I actually did that. <laughs> After my grandfather died, there's a guy in the room. He's one of many in that room. And unlike most people, he hasn't left or died. He's in decent shape, but he has to stay in the hospital. Some problem, not a, not a major one. And in these two weeks, he's been watching changes in the room. Now, he's watched a few people get better, but he's watched three. And then my grandfather uh, go from, well, in poor shape to to dead. And... I just kept thinking what an amazing and, and perhaps sad to, but thing to experience, you know, he's there day in and day out. He, he said to me in my grandfather's last few nights, you know, your grandfather calls for Maria. That's, that's my grandmother. He calls for her a lot in his sleep. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's my grandfather. You know, he, if there's anything in this world that he's still hanging on to, it's his wife. And I, I went up to this guy and I said, after my grandfather died, which he also saw, we were in the room. Uh, when my grandfather died and he said, uh, Hey, my condolences. And I said, listen, as strange as it sounds, you've had a special place or, or you've been special to us. You've been here when we're not here after visiting hours. I'm, I'm on the one hand, I'm sorry that you had to see all this happen. And on the other hand, I'm so glad that you were here. And he said, Hey, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it was an honor to be here. And, and, you know, we shook his hand and I said, I won't see you anymore, but I, I hope I see you out there in the world one day. And he said, yeah. And he's a young guy, so maybe, maybe we will see each other. 
but what an experience. And, and, you know, I just revealed the fact there that we were there, we were there and my grandfather died. Um, my, my hands were on his body. My, my mother's hands were holding to his, and we were trying to talk to him, just saying sweet things. We, we didn't know if he could hear us or not, but we wanted to comfort him. He was mostly unconscious. And, uh, all of a sudden his breathing stopped and he, he, his eyes actually closed tighter for some reason. And it was just a, like an in-breath. And, uh, that was it. That was it. And we called the nurse who was actually in the room, another coincidence. And she immediately came over and she said, yeah, yeah, it happened. And, um, it, it it's a really humbling experience. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. Some of them probably aren't for, for sharing because, I don't know because because it's my moment, right? It's not, it's uh, it's not for all of you, but I, I wanted to tell you some of this because uh, it's an exp- incredible experience, and I find you know I'm not the first to say this, but death is so often hidden or put away. A lot of people didn't want to visit my grandfather in the hospital, not I guess for fear of death, but also for fear of sickness, for fear of how it looks. He doesn't look like himself. It's too sad. That's an amazing thing. You know, it's too sad. There are things in this life that we deem too sad and we won't go look at them. Now that I think about it, that's, that's what happens with this podcast or podcasts like it that take on difficult, complicated, sometimes sad issues. People go, I can't listen. It's too serious, too sad. A war? Uh-uh. I can't. And I'm not even guilting I mean, they're not listening, but still, I'm not even guilting people for that, but it's one of the, I'm going to use the word challenges that someone like me faces if I want to produce this kind of content, because just like with the death of someone close to you or not so close to you, so many people don't want to face it. They'd rather look somewhere else. They'd rather, they say, I'd rather remember him in the good days. And that sounds very nice and it's understandable, I suppose, but I also find that to be, I don't know, a cop-out, especially if it's your grandfather or father, mother, you know, someone in your immediate family. Uh, I think it's no excuse. I think you should face the person. Uh, I know it's different for everyone. Now, interesting side effects to being in this place. I mean, I've told you some of them, but also, like, I'm in a Portuguese hospital. It's not a uh, a general care hospital. It's a, It has a few specialties. It's way far from where my grandparents live, but this is all part of the centralization of hospitals. They're closing down the small ones. They're making super big ones. And you have to drive. It's assumed that you're going to drive 45 minutes, 30 minutes to get to a hospital. Because budget-wise, it's what has to be done. Because what happened? Well, Portugal has a budget problem. So cut, cut, cut public spending. And a hospital is a public expense. A nurse is a public expense, so they're cutting them. And it's amazing to me that the logic of this whole money economics world in Europe and and I guess elsewhere in the world is, yeah, you got to cut that public spending, so cut those hospitals. I mean, there has got to be a better place to cut, not hospitals, not when they're so important. And when you see the state that they're in in Portugal, it's, it's depressing. And then... These nurses and these doctors, especially the nurses, they are such wonderful people, by and large. And they take such good care of your person. And they're there with you day in, day out. Like, I saw nurses almost crying over my grandfather. And I'm, I'm sure you're, 
you're pretty numb to this kind of thing normally, but they had, I mean, they've got hearts. They've, they've grown attached to someone who's been there a while. And these people make like six euros, five euros an hour. And no exaggeration here, five euros an hour. If you're in the U.S., that's, <laughs> what is it? Four, fifth, no, it's, it's five dollars an hour. It's bad. So this is crazy. I mean, this is not right. This is more than not right. It's, it should be unacceptable, but that's just how it is. And that's what's going on in Portugal. All these things that in terms of human rights and quality of life make no sense, but they're deemed a good idea for the future, for saving money, because that's what it's all about. I think there must be a better way. And I'll just keep saying that. And someone will say, well, what's a better way? Well, I don't know, but if you're going to make choices, hard choices, let's choose in favor of hospitals and let's find something else to cut. Like, I don't know, military spending. All right. They don't spend a lot of military. Well, let's cut. I don't know. Something else, please. Um, the other thing I got to see, and this is a small note and then I'll move on is I never get to see September in Portugal and it was the pear harvest. I'm from a region where my grandparents and my mother are from a region that's famous for pears, at least nowadays. It's something that's only happened in the last 20 years because, uh, you know, it's hard to make ends meet with agriculture, including, don't forget, we're in the context of the European Union, so you can't just necessarily grow whatever you want and sell whatever you want, It's especially on a mass scale. But pears have become very popular. They have a unique pear, uh, among others, uh, in this region of Portugal, and they sell them to things like the English school system, uh, fruit companies in Spain that make all kinds of products out of the pears and the pear harvest is huge and it takes place for three weeks in September. And I got to see a lot of it everywhere I went. Sometimes I'm trying to get to the hospital. I'm trying, usually I was getting to and from the hospital and I'm always behind a tractor hauling pears, a truck hauling pears, a cart hauling pears. It, it became a little bit stressful, but also very beautiful to see pears everywhere the wine harvest or the grape harvest was about to begin as I left. And again, you see people going out there. I mean, for the pear harvest, they're on trees, they're in ladders, sorry, they're in trees, they're on ladders and they're, they're picking together. It's hot, but they're, they're doing this work. There's a certain pride. And let me go to the money again. You make like 35 euros a day. That's not a good rate to live on. And it's only three weeks of work, but this is considered pretty good work, especially when people are unemployed. It's actually a job that's very popular with gypsies. And uh, Portugal has an interesting tradition of not only gypsies, but now you have the Roma people. And I've learned that actually these, these two groups don't get along. I've learned that based on what happens at the pear harvest. And I didn't get to participate in the pear harvest, but I, I, my family is involved. And next year I might do it. And who knows, it, it may be the topic of a podcast uh, in the near future. But it's so beautiful and so amazing. It's a shame how underpaid it is. And I don't know, I think it should be more known, the beauty of this. Uh, everyone kept saying, like, there's, you know, there's no machine that can pick these pairs. There's no machine. Has to be people. Has to be people. And there's a so certain pride with that. <laughs> and I bet there is a machine. But um, they're certainly not using it.
Okay, so so that's why I've been away uh, the last month, not really doing any podcasts, not so focused on that. Um, something else has been going on with me that I haven't revealed on this program because because I don't know if it helps or hurts me, to be honest. You know, to tell you things about my life beyond the show, I I don't know if it if it in a way could harm my my future prospects for not just respect, <laughs> but um, uh, jobs, employment, credit, credit as a journalist, as a public speaker, as a teacher. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, things don't hurt me more than harm me. And uh, what's happened, though, is in June, this magazine, it's called United Academics, and I highly, I highly do not recommend it, actually. I've been meaning to say this in more public places for what they, for the way they've carried themselves. Now, I've worked for these guys for about two years, a little more, actually. And they were, they were just starting up. They're a startup with some investment, and the goal was to be an academic journal great. I like academic journals. I like especially open access. And that's what was, that was the whole goal. Open access means you don't have to pay money to get access to read them. You know, these journals, these medical journals, these academic journals, if you ever want to read them and you're no longer at university, good luck. Thankfully, I have you guys out there. I go on Twitter and I get help. And I, and I really do thank you for that. Um, especially my university students and my university employees. You've always helped me with that. And, uh, yeah, I thank you. So they were an open access journal, United Academics, and I got hired to just edit their English because they're based here in the Netherlands. And, uh, you know, the Dutch are good with English, but they could always use a native speaker. Great. I don't mind doing this for many reasons. One, it's interesting work. Uh, I mean, it can get a little boring, you know, to have to read text and focus on the little things, but it's fun to get to read different kinds of social science topics. So I've been really up on social science news the last two plus years. And also I got to write for them on their website and occasionally an article, uh, although not often, but I, I got to write on the website at the daily posts. It was a lot of work and it was every day. Or I should say it wasn't that much work, but it was every day for a few hours. So no matter where I was, no matter what I'm doing, trying to get other work, traveling, of course, for pleasure and for, for, for work, um, I always had to remember to write a post. So when I was teaching Syrians in Turkey, during the day I'm teaching, very stressful, but, but great, of course, rewarding. And at night, I'm not sleeping. I'm writing the posts for the next day for the science magazine. Now, that doesn't take all night, but still, it, it, these times it's been very stressful. But fine, you know, that, that's, that earns me the income to pay the rent. That was very important because these teaching jobs, they come and go. I haven't had one now since what? Since June. And I, I don't know when the next one will come. So I do this work, I do the editing, I do the writing. I used to do a podcast, I don't know if any of you listened to it, but um, it was very simple and uh, it was interviews with academics. And the magazine, after about six months to a year, lost interest uh, because they looked at the statistics. That's what you should never do. <laughs> don't look at the statistics. They looked and they decided, oh, you know, it, it doesn't get as many views page views, right, as the, 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 the our actual text entries, which is a fine point. And download-wise, well, it doesn't get that many downloads. So they discontinued it, um, which was fine. I mean, I was getting paid to do it, so clearly they didn't want to invest in that anymore. And there was this whole question of how does an open access journal make money? Look, I don't even want to talk about the company any further. They, I don't think they've ever figured out how to make money. And I don't blame them. I don't know the answer exactly. But what happened to me was as a, a monthly 
uh, a person working on a month-to-month basis with agreements on how much to get paid, how many hours per week. By June of this year, I hadn't been paid in six months. Six months of not getting paid. Um, uh, thankfully, I had a few teaching jobs and I had some ways of paying the rent and feeding myself. But I was worried. And no matter how many times I wrote and the style with which I approached it, I tried to be very, of course, cool because I, I, I want to continue to do the work, but I also want to get paid for my work. And the answer was mostly, we don't have it. We'll pay you when we can. Sorry, we don't have it. Uh, I even renegotiated uh, the deal because I was, I was writing too much, too many hours. They, couldn't, they didn't want to pay me what I was getting. They had to cut it. So fine, I, I cut my, my monthly hours in half. And still, that was the last three months of that, that six-month gap, no payment. So I was really getting desperate, and so I hired a debt collector. Uh, I'm sure you guys know about this whole world. You know, they're the ones who go and pressure or, or threaten. I don't know. You threaten legal action. What do you threaten? A brick of your legs? I, I, I don't know. Uh, but they do it with email, with, with phone calls. And it's in a Dutch context, so in a way, I need the help because on my own, I can't be very legally threatening in Dutch, believe it or not. And uh, it, it takes some time, and I, it caused a lot of anger on the part of, of my former employer. And uh, eventually, I got paid. It took most of the summer, actually. And what's really annoying is the debt collector takes a percentage. Uh, I don't even know anymore. 20%? It's ridiculous. I just lost 20% of what is a very small amount of money in, in terms of your six months to a year span. And actually it was now nine months since I had been waiting for the money. So I lost a chunk of my already small income because I had to hire a debt collector to get paid for the work that I did. I've been extremely annoyed about this. I mean, I, I let it go. I try to, you know, be Zen and move on with my life. Uh, obviously I'm not going to work for them anymore. And, uh, if they hear this, you know, uh, what can I say? I mean, I did nothing wrong. I was wronged, in my opinion. And my experience. Forget my opinion. I was wronged. Uh, you should pay someone for the work that they do. And if you can't afford it, you should say it beforehand. All right. So this is a problem. As you can tell, I'm still getting over this. And now comes the question, which comes up for all of us every few years, I think, especially freelancers. What am I going to do for income? Now, I do this podcast. I get donations. Thank you very much, everybody who donates. But... Uh, no secret here, I do not make enough, and maybe I don't deserve to make enough, <laughs> uh, to live, to live, to pay my modest rent and, uh, and food. And yeah, I, you know, I make a lot of trips, so, so maybe that has to go. We'll see. I'm making cuts in my life. Um, and it's a question, you know, what am I going to do? So three years ago, I, I left whatever company I was working for. I was doing conferences, sustainable investment conferences, and I, I left that job. I had tried to be freelance. They, they were very disappointed that I left them, so they gave me no freelance work. Okay. Um, and then I came up with something else. Now, I've always come up with something else, and, and, and I believe that I am on the verge of doing that. I'm, I'm, got, I'm working on a few leads. I don't even want to talk about them because I don't want to ruin them <laughs> or have you get them instead of me. Ha ha. Um, but I actually don't know how I'm going to be paying the rent in about three months. Um, I know that I'll find a way, uh, but I, I don't know what that way is going to be. So I'm really wondering, and in a way, I'm appealing. Uh, I don't think that you listening are going to have an immediate job for me, or 
or any funding source. I mean, I love doing this program. I love doing programs like this. I love doing the Arab Artist series for, for Chris Lydon and Radio Open Source. And I might do some work for Radio Open Source, but it's, it's going to be small, whatever I do for them. And I could try to crowdfund another topic, another project. I have a few ideas. Uh, I might talk about them still in this program. But I actually, I, just, I don't know. None of those things seems like it would carry me for the long term. I mean, what I'm, when I say long term, I'd like a two year something to work on. And I have ideas of my own, but they require funding. Now, I've applied to a little funding here and there. And honestly, I've been rejected. Um, sometimes because I deserve to be rejected because the proposal wasn't so good. Other times because these institutions don't understand what it is I'm doing or they don't see the value in it. Uh, you know, maybe this stream of consciousness podcast to you is fun to listen to or revealing or interesting, but to others, this is like an offense to radio or an offense to audio, or this is no way to tell a story. So I got to deal with, I mean, that's reality. No, no, you know, let me try not to complain too much, but I got to deal with the fact that if I'm looking for funding, some funders, traditional funders are not going to understand what this is and what it's worth. And I may say it's worth you know, uh, uh, I don't know, give me a number, $16,000, $15,000 a year. That's, that's a lot of money for, for a podcast, right? Uh, I've never gotten that amount, <laughs> but, uh, they may disagree. They may say, this is not worth it. Why would we fund this, this series of conversations with artists? I mean, okay, that the crowd did and, and that's great, but would an institution really, um, uh, some do, some do, some have, I don't know. I don't know. I got a little lost in that point. So now I'm looking around and um, mostly as freelance jobs uh, because I want to continue to do this podcast. I wanted to continue to be able to teach. And that means being ready to go within a week or two's notice. Uh, actually, uh, let me put in a plug for Small World News. That's my collective together with Baghdad Brian. I mean, it's not mine, but I'm part of it. All right. This is really, I'm talking in a circle. But uh, Baghdad Brian and, and Steve uh, Washanwick, they're actually, Brian is in Libya right now teaching. Uh, teaching with these new media kits and using StoryMaker, which is an app that, that teaches you to uh, create video and audio. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But I'm not there. I'm not part of the job right now. And that's how it goes. Sometimes they need me and sometimes they don't. Um, no hard feelings at all. I love them. So yeah, what now? What now? Employment trouble. Who doesn't have it, right? So, so what right do I have to say I'm in trouble? Give me some ideas. I, I don't. I don't, but I am, I am looking for new ways of thinking and approaching what I'm doing. I want to do more journalism, but let me be realistic here. Even if I write an article for a fine publication like Der Spiegel, which I've never written for, by the way, and I think I could and should, uh, what, what do you get for an article? You know, a thousand words, what, 80 euros, 70 euros, maybe less. It's not good. <laughs> you work for a day or two. And you might have you might have eighty euros. Uh, it's better than picking pears in Portugal, but not not by much, not by much. Um, and maybe I'd be happier outdoors. Maybe I'm supposed to be in agriculture. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know. I got to figure this out. I feel like I'm I'm giving you too much insight into my sometimes uncertain world. Um, I have a bunch of topics. You know this this. I don't know if you listen to the. One of the last podcasts I did before this one, um, that was from Gdansk, the the Polish defunct or mostly defunct shipbuilder. Uh, I mean, they, they still build ships, but not the way they used to. And I just found it all unbelievable. I talked about that on the podcast. And since then, 
you know, I know one in Lisbon that has the same story. It was the place of great change and struggle and it, it, it won, it succeeded. And then it was picked apart and it was beaten by other shipbuilders and it's basically closed dream ended and people lived some amazing times there and they're still alive and the place is still there. It's abandoned. And then I heard from France, Spain. I heard from people living in those cities, friends and acquaintances that have the same story in their neighborhood. I want to put this together. I don't know if it's shipbuilding or is it mass, what do you call that? Uh, the industry, heavy industry where workers were organized and were not just building something amazing, but they were pushing socially and politically for change, for improvement of quality of life, and now are on the retreat, or if not already sort of fired and retired, forced into retirement. I would like to do a series about this. Um, I think it, it needs to be, if it's not being remembered, it needs to be talked about, preserved, interviews, uh, documentation, because I don't know, either these countries don't ever get much further than within their national borders, or I just never got to hear them. And I think if you put them together, you see so much in common between countries and between eras and, and that a lot has been lost and it doesn't have to be necessarily, but that's, that's just how it's gone. Or maybe it does have to be, maybe that's what I'll discover as we go. So that's a topic I'd really like to do. There's a topic for Dubai. I'm fascinated by Dubai. I would like to go back to Dubai. I have good contacts there. And it involves guest workers who are, you know, living their whole lives there or much of their lives and sending every bit of money home. I'd like to do something involving them. Uh, but uh, that, that's the kind of thing I maybe I should crowdfund. Still working on that whole idea. And I've got some small articles I want to be writing. I don't know. I don't know, people. Let me take uh, 30 seconds to, uh, to breathe and let you process all the stuff I just said. Does your heart when you get around me Does your heart break when you think about me Now you want to say Okay, home stretch now. Uh, you're listening to Citizen Reporter. I am Mark Fonseca Renderu. Why do I say that in the middle of the show? I don't know. Maybe you fast forwarded and you missed my name in the beginning. These sort of traditions that carry on. You know, I haven't talked about podcasts in a while, and podcasts are a part of my day. Um, they're probably a part of your day too. And I'm um, uh, hey, let me just say thanks for making me a part of your day. No, I'm serious. That's, that's it's it's um it's nice. It's a good thing. I'm, I feel very fortunate. And I wanted to tell you what I've been listening to now. I listen to a lot more than this, but this is just the last week, like what's been, I don't know, high on my list. I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but first of all, comedians, there's so many comedians doing podcasts. Good luck keeping up with them. There's too many, uh, but that's nice because you can always find your, your taste. And my guy these days is Bill Burr, the Bill Burr Monday morning podcast. Don't ask me what it's about. It's simply about life. It's, you know, comedians are great observers of life. And Bill Burr is one of the best life observers. And I love listening to him. I think he's influenced me even today. I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm listening to him as I speak. Uh, so check it out, the Monday morning podcast. Maybe you already do. I wanted to mention 
one of the longest running podcasts on the planet and certainly someone who's produced the most shows any podcast has ever had, um, Yeast Radio. You know, you've heard Madge Weinstein on this podcast, um, still going, still as crazy as ever. Don't ask me to explain why you should listen to it. I'm just telling you, I love it. I am a Yeast Radio fan. I don't, you don't have to understand every moment and you have to put away, <laughs> you have to put away what you think is offensive or what you think is good and bad. I just let them take me. I let Madge take me wherever she's going and you know she doesn't know where she's going half the time. Uh, but I, I love Yeast Radio and I'm so happy that they're still putting out shows. And when I say they, I mean Madge and Cheryl, although I mostly just want to hear Madge. Sorry, Cheryl. Uh, the truth. Okay. This is very trendy, probably right after radio lab and this American life and the moth there's the truth. Uh, it's just stories, radio stories. And this has become so popular these days, you know, storytelling workshops. I should know I give some of them, but the truth is this. Yeah. What it sounds like a sort of theater of the mind. And it's very good. The sounds are very nice and interesting and the stories are powerful. Although because it's so good, sometimes it's like a parody of itself. I just heard another program where somebody, you know, involving a, a, a shooting or an almost shooting or something with a, you know, don't do it. Ah, they've got a gun. There's a little bit too much with that. And that's the kind of problem when you're successful with a program like that. You, you always want to do something else exciting, which I, I, I think is fine, but I, I, I like... I don't know. You don't have to go crazy trying to impress me. Simple is, is interesting. And lastly, you know, I'm a student of Arabic, a very bad student, but a long running student of Arabic. I love listening to Arabic. I love trying to read. Um, I mean, I can read, but oh, it takes me long. But uh, Tesali is a podcast out of Amman, Jordan, and it's only like three minutes uh, once a week. And I like these guys. Uh, they're, they're cute. Oh, cute is probably offensive in some way. I don't mean to say like, they're very mature. <laughs> I don't mean to say like the program is, is adorable, you know, haha. No, it's, it's a good program. It makes me laugh, but not, you know, go crazy laughing. And I learn a little bit of Arabic uh, phrases, although they do go in one ear and out the other very often. But I, I love hearing them explain different phrases. And if you ever wanted to learn Arabic, that's a, one way to start. There's a lot more you'd have to do, of course. All right. So there, now I've told you a bit of what I've been listening to. And you're still listening, and we're, we're well into 30, past 30 minutes. I wanted to plug uh, News of the World. That's my podcast with Tim Pritlove. If you don't know about this, so this has been going on for well over a year. It's a weekly program, and we, uh, we're we quite consistent. We take uh, we probably miss a week every two months, but but otherwise we're, we're quite on the ball. Uh, and we talk about news in the world, some underreported, some highly reported. And it's, um, it's going very well. I really like doing news of the world. It's fun to work with somebody else and co-produce something. Uh, I do love doing this thing on my own, but but yeah, it's fun to do to it different. Also, a plug: uh, Brooklyn College. If you're in the New York area, October. I'm going to tell you the date right now. I think it's October 15th. It might be October 16th. Both of those days are what's what they call media nights, and that's at Brooklyn College. I'll be speaking together with Liz Winstead who is the creator of The Daily Show. You've heard Liz Winstead on this podcast. She's a friend, as we say, a friend of the show. And she and I will be speaking together 
And the topic will be the future of media as a journalist. And, and it, it'll tackle some of the stuff I'm talking about with work and funding yourself and how you're treated in the workplace or, or as a, a freelancer in the in this future era that we're sort of jumping into post post newspaper jobs. So Brooklyn College, I'll put a link if I can to the advertisement for that. I'd love to see you. I don't know how it works with tickets and stuff, but I'm sure you can get access. I mean, it's a public school, so you should be able to get in. I don't know. You can write to me. I'll get you in if you're in the New York area on October 15th. Uh, all right. I think I'm going to finish this up and we'll be under 40 minutes. So you can go on with your life and come next week. We'll be back with interviews. Uh, I've got one with one of the first, the first employee of Twitter. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not a techie thing as, as much as the social thing, you know, what Twitter has become and what it was supposed to be and, and why, and what it all means. Uh, so, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I wanted to, of course, appeal for, um, ideas, you don't necessarily look if you if you donate via PayPal or via Flatter. Thank you so much for that. You know it really makes a difference. And and I I do like that there are people that once a year I don't care what month it is, but it's once a year there are people who send five whatever it is five euros five bucks ten bucks. That's that is it helps a lot. And I mean it helps. It keeps me going in in more ways than one mentally financially. It's. It's a big help. And at times like this, I'm wondering, you know, can this continue at the, at the level that I've been doing it, the way I've been doing it? Obviously, things are changing and they have to change and, and I'm not against change, but um, trying to, you know, shape this in such a way that, that we can still have media like this. I can still have a podcast where sometimes I do an important or interesting interview and sometimes I just turn on a microphone and talk to you as an observer of the world who happens to travel a lot and, you know, I am, I am a citizen of the world in so many ways. Um, and that's just how life has gone. And that's not always a good thing. You know, there's a trade-off to living a life like this. There's a reason not everybody lives like this. On the other hand, a lot of people, because of the state of the world and economics and, and interest, many people live in more than one country or have a life in more than one country. And that's a great tradition. So I'm not saying woe is me. I'm just saying it's not as easy as it might look on the outside and on the cover of a a magazine or on the front page of a website that always looks real good the truth is much more complicated all right so thanks so much for your support thanks for listening and uh i don't know i i've this has been useful for me so i hope that this is of interest to you and and actually that's what i hope about my entire podcast if you've been a listener for a long time or just a more recent uh, listener who joined the audience. Okay, I'm out of here. Thanks so much, and uh, I'll see you next time. Citizenreporter.org is the website. All right, see ya.